Sam Maggs is a best-selling writer of books, comics, and video games. She's a senior writer for Insomniac Games, the author of The Fangirl's Guide to the Galaxy, Wonder Women, and now a new book called Girl Squads. Sam, how are you? Hi, I'm good. I'm excited to be here. Well, you're a familiar voice to people, although you haven't been on the show for a while because you no longer live uh, in Canada. I know. I miss Toronto very much. I'm in L.A. now, which is one of those things where it's like, you know, you go where the work is a little bit. Well, you go where the work is, and you're doing all kinds of very cool things there. I mean, we'll talk about Girl Squads in, in just a sec, but tell me a little bit about what you've got going on there because every time I open up Facebook or Twitter or something, it seems like you have a new gig. <laughs> I don't have a very good work-life balance, I'll be honest with you. No, it's great. Um, yeah, I'm working, like you mentioned, at a full-time at a company called Insomniac Games. Um, we just put out a Spider-Man game that a lot of people are really excited about, so it's been really fun getting to to make some Spider-Man. So yeah, yeah. I've got a DLC for that coming out this fall. And then and I'm also doing some work for the Nerdist on camera. So I've got a new show with them called Fangirling, which is very fun because I'm obviously a big geek. And you can watch that um, every Thursday on the Nerdist Facebook page. So And it's kind of like... I don't know, like The View or something with a more sort of nerd focus, totally. right? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's me, two other regular hosts, and a, a rotating guest host every week. And we just get to nerd out about all the stuff that we're excited about in books, comics, video games, movies, TV shows, um, skin care, like whatever we're <laughs> whatever really is, into yeah. right now we get to talk about. And I think that's fun because I think, you know, you and I were actually talking about this a little bit earlier, but there's a lot of cynicism in the world right yep. now, I think, and a real instinct to kind of like yuck other people's yum mm-hmm. a little bit, which I don't really <laughs> love. And for me, you know, I think the best way to live is to to love stuff hard and unapologetically and with a lot of passion. And I, I think that's just a really fun way to be and a really positive way to live. So it's fun to be able to share that. Um, with with other gals who are in this sort of like nerd world that hasn't often mm-hmm. been maybe the friendliest to women. Well, there is that. I mean, that's that's a topic for a whole another day. I <laughs> yeah. think sort of talking about toxic uh, fan culture and that sort of thing. But um, it's interesting what you say about the negativity coming through. And the reason we were talking about this earlier is I said that over the weekend I went on kind of an unfriending binge, <laughs> yeah. and and I have never done that before. I have often thought that my social media pages. And the thing is, there's a number of them because there's one for the TV show and there's one for me and there's one like you probably have a a variety of of these things kicking around. And I've often thought that they were just there for people to express themselves on. If you, no matter, to to a limit, no matter what you had to say, uh, it was a a space for you to say it. And if I posted something, if you didn't agree with me, as long as you were cool about it, um, I was fine with it. But what it, it, it sort of boiled down to for me over the weekend was just people who are endlessly negative uh, and, as you say, want to sort of yuck somebody's yum, yeah. you know? And and I thought, you know what? Enough. Yeah. Enough. The world's complicated enough. And so I just went on this massive unfriending binge, and I have to tell you, my heart felt lighter. It's true. It's like an unburdening, I think. And that's not to say that we shouldn't have great discussions about things that, you know, people enjoy and some other people don't enjoy and how we can improve things and and all of that. But I also think that the world is a pretty dark place right Mm -hmm. now. And there's never been a better time to talk about things that we find are uplifting in a really positive way. So I'm trying to put that out there. Yeah. And I I think it's not just 
talking about things in a positive way senselessly. Yes. You know, like there, there's there's a way to do it that sort of can affect people and, yes. and, and be inclusive rather than try to shut people out. Yeah, definitely. And there's enough of that everywhere else in the world. Well, and the interesting thing, too, is that, like, no matter how dumb your thing may be objectively that you like, you know, as long as you know what's kind of problematic about it, so <laughs> to speak, like, you can like whatever you want to like, right? So, I don't know, everybody's got something. Yeah, everybody has something. And when you find that group who yeah. likes the thing that you like, even, you know, no matter how obscure or weird it might be, there will be a community of people out there that like it. And that's, that, that makes the heart feel good. It's true. And think, you know, social media gets a lot of like negative attention, mm -hmm. I think, but thank goodness for social media, because I really found my tribe through Twitter, through Tumblr, through yeah. Facebook groups. Um, it was really hard to find people sometimes in real life who are into the same things that you're into. But yeah. now we're able to make our own communities online that way, which I think is really important. I'm speaking with Sam Maggs. She is the author of a new book called Girl Squads. It's a follow-up of sorts to The Fangirl's Guide to the Galaxy and Wonder Women. And one more thing, though, you just said you, you just finished working on a Spider-Man uh, video game. Yeah. And you, you write these things, right? Is yeah. This, yeah. So tell me if there a difference between writing for a video game, which could have a number of, of facets to it yeah. that a film or a comic book wouldn't have because you never know exactly where the story is going to go or it can be different every time someone plays, right? Oh, totally. I mean, films, comics, that's all linear, right? You know exactly the order in which you're going to tell the story. With video games, often especially games that have dialogue choices, mm -hmm. kind of like choose your own adventure style or gameplay options, you know, there's a lot of branching where the player can go in one of any number of directions in character relationships or plot. Right. So you have to kind of like follow through these storylines in a bunch of different directions, which is really fun for players, but does cause a lot of complication, <laughs> which is why you see games, you know, like Spider-Man are 900,000 words. Right. You know, my books are 60,000 words. Oh, I know. I know. So they get massive. And then there's also all of the other dialogue that you don't have in a movie like like, you know, when you're in combat with somebody and they're saying things like, hey, come at me, Spider-Man, yeah, like yeah, yeah. in 50 different ways. Or when <laughs> Spider-Man has to say, like, better swing off of that thing right. in 10 different ways. Um, there's a lot of that sort of like emergent or procedural dialogue that you have to write. That's just like it's it's very high volume writing. <laughs> Are you paid by the word? <laughs> I no, mean, I yeah, wish, yeah, you right? Wish, right? <laughs> and, uh, but uh, are you working with a team? And so when you're – so does every team say like have uh, – when you say there's branches of the stories that are going to go, do you have one branch and someone else? But then how do you coordinate them so that they all make sense? It's a great question. Together, Every right. game studio does it differently. I used to work at a video game studio called Bioware up here in Edmonton in Alberta. Um, and the way they would do things is they would assign characters to different mm -hmm. writers. So we would work in a writer's room, like on a television show. There'd be like seven to ten of us. We would all kind of work on the main plot together, and then each of us would be assigned a character. So even if you were using someone else's character in your plot, they could always look it over for a voice pass to make right. sure that there was that consistency. At the studio I'm at now, Insomniac, it's a much smaller team. There's only about four writers writers. Um, and so we are kind of doing most, like the bulk of, we're, and we're working on multiple games at the same time. Yeah, so yeah. each writer is kind of assigned to their own game. Um, and then we swing in to help each other out when things get a little too heavy. Swing in, that's the, uh, the Spider-Man reference. There you go. Swinging in. Uh, Sam Maggs, the book is called Girl Squads in uh, bookstores right now. So you are a, a self-described second generation geek. <laughs> 
Tell me a little bit about your parents. You're named after Bewitched Samantha Stevens. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I, my parents were watching Bewitched one day and were like, Samantha's a great name, which is <laughs> one, a wonderful story, I think. Um, yeah, my parents are both huge nerds. They both saw Star Wars and New Hope over 20 times when it was in the theaters originally in the 70s. Um, and I guess instead of like rebelling and getting really into football or something, I just kind of like went with it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but I love it. I, my dad has been a huge Spider-Man fan forever, um, huge Star Trek fan. My mom got me into Stargate SG-1 when I was right. 12 years old. That was kind of like my first big fandom. Um, and it's just been really great to share this sort of cultural movement with them as people who have been into this for such a long time and are finally seeing it like come to the forefront of pop culture now. They are like right. so into it. I go to tons of the like comic cons with my mom. I, I go to see tons of movies with my dad. It's like, it's really fun um, to, to have that kind of like bond. Do you think that because they understand the world in a way that, you know, a lot of other parents might not, uh, that it has made your career choices, which are unconventional <laughs> yeah. in some ways, you know, I, my dad just never understood what I did for a living. He couldn't understand <laughs> yeah. the idea that, uh, you know, the books come out every two years. He goes, what do you do when you're <laughs> at that <laughs> yeah. moment that you don't have a book out? Well, I'm writing them then, you know? Yeah. So it, it, it is unconventional, I think, a little bit. Um, do you think that having parents who understand that world helped you along that that career path or, or made oh, yeah. it more accessible for you, made it easier? Oh, definitely. I've always been very lucky that my parents have been very supportive of me, like getting into English, where I think a lot of parents would have been like, maybe do something where you could get a job afterwards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but also my parents always tell the story about how like a lot of kids when I was growing up, they would talk to like other parents and their parents would be like, we don't let our daughter watch television. Right, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Like yeah, those yeah. parents or whatever. And they'd be like, we watch four hours of TV a night with our daughter. It's awesome. But they always, to their credit, like we watched TV and movies and consumed media very actively. Like right. when I I was watching with my parents, we would always like talk about the shows afterwards. We were very invested in them and involved. And I think that gave me an appreciation for storytelling and characters well, early on. And and a lot of the stuff that you were watching, the science fiction shows anyway, mm -hmm. um, they are about big universal themes. It's not, you know, a green alien and a human man. It's an interracial relationship. Totally. It's like all that stuff, right? Yeah. So you're, you're actually talking about, you know, really big kind of concepts and ideas through the lens of something that makes it easier to digest somehow. Totally. And genre fiction, especially science fiction, is always the most progressive. You find, yeah. you know, you talk about interracial relationships. The first interracial kiss was on Star Trek yeah. between Kirk and Uhura. Um, you always find, and when I was growing up too, and I think part of what drew me to sci-fi fantasy so much is that that was really the only place on TV or movies where you saw like really kick-butt women. Like you had Samantha Carter in Stargate SG-1, who was an astrophysicist and in the U.S. Air Force. And like that was mind blowing to me that a girl could be like more than one thing. Yeah, so yeah. often in shows, the girl is <laughs> right. like one thing. The secretary. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, or the yeah. love interest yeah. or whatever. Um, or you have like, you know, Sigourney Weaver as Ripley mm. with her also. Or like, oh, my gosh. Uh, Linda Hamilton's biceps yeah, yeah. in Terminator 2 is like still my <laughs> ultimate like workout goals. Right. You know what I mean? But that was really the only place where you saw women like Starbuck and, and stuff like that. Um, and so I think that's what really drew me to it. Those shows are so progressive and they're always pushing the envelope in terms of, like you say, representing those themes of what's next for humanity, I guess. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with San Mags. We'll talk about her book, Girl Squads, uh, which is... Um, a, a, 
as the press release says, a fun and feisty tour of famous girl BFFs from history. You did and, that great, Richard. Thank yeah, you, nice. Thank you. <laughs> and, and we'll talk about some of the people you write about, and we'll get to know you a little bit better. Stay with us. My guest in studio is Sam Mag. She's a best-selling writer of books, comics, and video games. New Spider-Man game coming out. 900,000 words blows my mind. It's so many so, words. Uh, that's, all the writers in the audience are going, what? That's so much. My books, um, the longest of my books is about 100,000. Yeah, and that's it, a long book. Yeah, that is a long book, and that took like a long time to write. Because you have to make sure like... all the words are in the right order. <laughs> See, that's that's the key. <laughs> that's the key. Well, that's why these games take like five years to make. Yeah. Because you know, I write the words, but then somebody else has to like make whatever garbage I just wrote down in like five minutes on a script into right. like actually something. So it's pretty it's pretty wild. Uh, the new book that you have out, Girl Squads, is uh, a look at, as the press release says, famous girl BFFs from history who stuck together and changed the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk all about that in a sec. I just want people to uh, get to know you just a little bit better here. So we talked about your parents. We talked about growing up, discussing the shows that you're watching uh, and, and, and getting a love of, of all things nerd at that point. Um, the net has not always been female mm. friendly and you were there early yeah, as a young person. Yeah. And so what were those experiences like for you? So great. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The early like internet 1.0 was so, <laughs> I have such great memory. It was very formative. I have such right. great memories of using things like Neopets which was, like, very big yeah. for girls my age in the early 2000s. MSN Messenger as that first kind of social media experience. Yeah, yeah. Forums, like fan forums. I was very active on a Stargate forum for a while. <laughs> and those experiences were really formative for me, I think, because it was the first time that I realized that, like, things that happen on the Internet are real. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that are are not always terrible. There was that whole thing. It's so funny to think about now. But remember when the Internet was new and people were like, don't ever meet someone from the Internet. Oh, yeah, They'll yeah, murder yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> um, whereas now it's like, how else do you meet? I have no idea how to meet people in real life. Yeah, I only no, meet people on the does. Internet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But like that Stargate fan forum, I met so many friends there from all over the world. And then we would congregate once a year in Vancouver for the Stargate convention that I went to for the first time when I was 18 with my mom. <laughs> and like... All these people from the internet, like women from Germany and New Zealand and England, who I'm still friends with Mm -hmm. today that I met through the internet, like such a cool experience to realize that A, not only social media, but B, our shared love of this, you know, science fiction property brought me together with so many amazing women who I never would have had the opportunity to meet otherwise. It's really cool. And you have made a career recently in terms of writing books yeah. about writing about powerful women and and writing about uh, stories that aren't often told in school. Yes. And so let's talk about Girl Squads uh, a little bit. First of all, this is a look at 20 female friendships throughout history. How did you choose the stories? Oh, it's so hard to narrow it down to just 20. Yeah. For me, so I had previously written a book called Wonder Women, which was about women in the history of STEM, so science, technology, engineering, math, um, and their incredible accomplishments, which, again, often left out of textbooks or erased purposefully for various reasons. We won't get into it. But um, with Girl Squads, it was really important to me 
um, to take the most interesting parts from Wonder Woman and expand on them. So first for me, that was um, talking about groups of women as opposed to individual women and how we can like lift each other up and how we're more together than we are apart. But also the other thing I really loved about Wonder Woman was writing about women from different cultures and different countries from across the world. Because writing about the white Western women, still super interesting, important, fascinating, but I loved learning about the women from India or from, you know, Japan, from these other places where I don't necessarily know the cultural history there as well, mm -hmm. because I think in North America, we often really lack an understanding of world history. It's not really taught um, in school as much. We're pretty hyper-focused on our Why own not? stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for me with Girl Squads, narrowing it down was like... I want one story from as many different countries as possible. Right. And that's kind of, that's how I approached my selection. So I have gals from Korea, Japan, Finland, Afghanistan, Iran, here in Canada, the U.S., Scotland, um, as many places as I could possibly <laughs> fit into the book. I'm speaking with Sam Meggs. The book is called Girl Squads. It's, uh, I was going to say in theaters now, maybe one day oh, in theaters. I hope so. Yeah, fingers are crossed. Uh, it's in <laughs> bookstores right now and, uh, and online and anywhere that you legally yes. uh, buy books, <laughs> yes. you'll be able to find this. Uh, so why, you, you said that these stories aren't taught in school for for any number of reasons. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about some of the stories uh, in the longer segment that's coming up, but why don't you think some of these are, are, are taught? Well, there, like I say, there is a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. With Wonder Women especially, you see that um, women often were, the, people didn't want to give them credit for the things that they did yeah. because either they thought it wasn't possible for a woman to have done that, so it must have been a man, so they yeah. attributed it to someone else, or in many cases, um, the, the man that they were working with was not a great dude and would take right. the credit for their accomplishments. You see that in the case of Lise Meitner, who invented nuclear fission. Her, you know, co-creator ended up winning the Nobel Prize and she did not, which is pretty brutal. Has that been rectified? Um, she has like a crater on the moon now yeah. and stuff. So, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's, she's, it's okay. okay. We're, yeah. we're reclaiming that history <laughs> a little bit through books like this, I think. Um, but you, there, you would also see that, um, there were situations where women wouldn't want to take the credit for the things that they did. That's really common in the case of black women inventors who were afraid that if they put their name on the patent, white woman wouldn't buy it anymore. Right. Um, so they would allow someone else to take the credit for it. Often, though, especially in the stories of these girl squads, you find that their accomplishments just weren't written down. Often women weren't educated. They weren't the ones writing the books. They weren't the ones publishing the books. They didn't have the ability to do that. So their stories have kind of been lost to time. I really do think that it's our responsibility now as writers and as historians to go back and reclaim that history because as girls and as women – it's hard for us to feel like we can do something unless we've seen another woman do it before us. You know, it's it's hard to be like, I'm going to be the first one who <laughs> ever does this thing. Like, that feels daunting and impossible. But if you're able to look and be like, oh, th she did it. Mm -hmm. These women did it. I can do it. You know, that's – I feel like that power of representation is very important. Well, I feel it also kind of harkens back to your early experiences on the internet, yeah. meeting all these other women who were sort of like you, and you went, wow, I mean, it's not just my mom and me yeah. that, that love this stuff. Totally, and totally. It, and it opens your eyes. It opens your mind and opens your eyes. Absolutely true, yeah. 
When we come back, we will continue the conversation with San Megs. We're talking about her book, Girl Squads. It is a fun and feisty tour of famous girl BFFs from history uh, who stuck together and changed the world. We'll talk about how your MA in Victorian literature has been applicable to your current work, I guess, and that's in terms of research and, <laughs> and being able to to plow through a whole lot of old textbooks and whatever else uh, to find out the information that you need to write Girl Squads. Stay with us. Sam Meggs was named after Samantha Stevens from Bewitched, grew up with a love of geek culture, and now writes books, fascinating books, best-selling books. Thanks. <laughs> they are. They're everywhere, these things. That must be really gratifying, right? Oh, to meet it's... people who, who are perhaps you know, much younger who have read yeah. these books and, and you see that little light in their eye when they've read Fangirl's Guide to the Galaxy, Wonder Women, or the new one, Girl Squads. Oh, totally. I always told myself with Fangirl's Guide, which was the first one, that if I got one email from a 14-year-old girl who felt like she was alone and didn't feel like she was alone anymore, that I would have done my job and I would be happy with that. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten so many emails like that. I've gotten to meet so many girls at Comic-Cons and, you know, events that are like, ah, I thought I was alone. I didn't think anybody was like me. I'm so happy you wrote this. I'm so happy to be proud of who I am and the mm. things that I like. And I'm excited to, you know, go into science now or, you know, try to get into video games, stuff like that. It's um, it's pretty moving, actually. Yeah, absolutely yeah. would be. Yeah, any time that you create something, you know, on your home computer, because it's daunting, man. It can take a long time and it's sitting there typing into the void, it seems like, yeah. so much of the time. Uh, and then it comes out and it's cool. It comes yeah. out and you've got a thing and you're like, look at all the, the hours of work yeah. that I put into this thing. But then when people respond to it in a way is is very gratifying. It's true. And I'm lucky to be with my publisher's Quirk Books mm -hmm. and they make a very good looking book. They do. The so books look fantastic. Like, yeah, it's very like when I get to because people may not know this, and I feel like a lot of the times they don't know that, but the author has, like, no control over what the book looks like at all. Like, I literally send my publisher a Word document, and I get a book back. Yeah, I know. And it's like, you better hope you like, you uh, better hope you like it. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> well, it, it, it's funny, too. Uh, I always found that the day, because part of the deal is that you get a box of books. Yeah. You know, you mm -hmm. get 20 or 25 copies or whatever. And that's always an extraordinarily exciting day. But for me, the, the first book... I remember sitting and just staring at that box forever on the floor because I knew that once I opened it, that dream was over. I'd always wanted to write a book yeah. and that dream was over. Then I had to either do it again or just live <laughs> with whatever was yeah. in this this box. Yeah. yeah. It's daunting a little bit. I mean, it's so great and, like you say, gratifying and amazing. But it's – I whenever I look at a book that, like, when Girl Squads came out, I picked it up and I was like, did I make – like, I know. how did I do that? <laughs> I don't know if I can do that again. And then you do. Then you do it again. And it's fine. But, yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, there's a movie called Patterson that changed my whole outlook on on everything in terms of writing. Interesting. And, and so it's about a poet played by Adam Driver who doesn't share anything of his poetry with anyone. Yeah. Uh, and then he loses his book. His dog eats it. And, and he's despondent. All this work, years of work is gone. And he's sitting on a park bench and he meets another poet. And this other guy comes to sit down next to him. And this, I mean, the movie's a few years old now, so I can, I can say this. So the, the guy gives him a book and Adam Driver thinks it's about it's a book of this guy's poetry, and he yeah. opens it up, and there's nothing in it. And the guy says, "Look at that book. Every page is a possibility." 
Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's way better than looking at your blank Word document it and sure feeling is. despair. Yeah. I love that. Every page is a possibility. It can be whatever you want it to be. And that, to me, when I saw that, it was like a light bulb went off over yeah. my head. I'm like, yeah, don't fear the page. Yeah. Don't look at the page like it's your enemy. What a great moment. Yeah. I love that. It is a great moment. It is one of my favorite moments in a movie in the last 10 years. Absolutely. You have to watch it. Yeah. That's Patterson, great. Jim Jarmusch movie. So you have an MA in uh, Victorian literature. I do. And so uh, you get a master's degree in something. You've, 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 you've rifled through a lot of moldy old books, I would guess, to get that. I have that. indeed, yeah. And so that research skill. I guess is sort of paid off in the writing of these books. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously the books are incredibly research heavy. You know, I, I write very conversationally. I want when you read my books to feel like I'm talking to you and yep. telling you the story uh, very intentionally because I think a lot of the time history books are so boring. I like can't deal with it. I also can't relate to the people in them in any particular yep. way. I picture them as like black and white, dusty like well, figures. Well, history is history is stories. Yeah, and that's well, the exactly. thing that, that that the thing that that it took me a long time to wrap my head around was that history for me anyway. Uh, is better when it is a story. I yes. love movies. I love watching TV shows. Yes. I love stories. I like reading and books. And characters. So, and characters. And when when history comes off the page and becomes alive yeah. in that way, uh, it is so much more digestible. It's so important mm-hmm. that you relate to the people that I'm writing about because often they're like, they're just 21, 22, 17, 50-year-old yeah. gals. You know what I mean? Like, they're just like us. It's easy to forget that. But just because the books are conversational, I want folks to know that, like, they are meticulously researched. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's a selected bibliography in the back of Girl Squads, but there's also a full, like, 30-page bibliography available online that you can read through for all the original sources. If there's one group of girls you're particularly interested right. in learning more about, you can look there. But I do love research. The other thing I learned about in my MA that has made it, like, weirdly kind of applicable to pop culture and that kind of work that I do today is I studied a particular brand of Victorian fiction that only existed in the 1860s called sensation fiction. Ooh. It was a precursor that sounds to the, exciting. <laughs> it was sensational. It was a precursor to the first mystery novels and it often featured it they were basically about books about like women behaving badly. So wow. like women being like arsonists, bigamists, murderers, like all wow. this like sensational stuff. And were, were these were, were these books or were they like serials that were published in newspapers Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. they were published serially either weekly, monthly, quarterly in papers and so the end of each chapter was always a cliffhanger. It always had to make you want to buy the next copy. It was like a very early example of this kind of serialized fiction. And it it works exactly the same way a comic book or a TV show Mm -hmm. does now. And I think studying that gave me a real appreciation for that kind of serialized fiction. I also read a lot of old newspapers, um, which I always encourage folks to do. There's a great website called chroniclingamerica.gov. If you want to know what was happening on your birthday in 1820 in like (laughs) Oregon, you can go and read the newspaper from that day. They've digitized and made searchable newspapers from like hundreds of years in North American yeah, history. Yeah. Um, but what I find most fun about them, if you do go look at them, is the ads. Right, yeah, yeah, they're yeah, always yeah. like, oh, cocaine for your baby. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like that kind of stuff. And it's just like, they're so wild. Anyway, I'm like a big nerd for research. So, <laughs> yeah. 
I'm speaking with Sam Maggs. The book is called Girl Squads, a follow-up of sorts to Fangirl's Guide to the Galaxy, Wonder Women, all of which are in stores currently, and uh, you can buy them at Amazon.ca, all the places that you buy books. Will there be an audio book? Do we know about audio There books? is an audio book really? with Penguin Random House, and I narrated it. Really? Wow. It was my first audio book. Wow. It was really hard. Yeah, it, it would be. I've never done it. it, it, oh it tell me, it, 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 does it take forever? Because it's not sitting down and reading the book. I mean, it, so it, I did it in three and a half days, wow. and they were like eight to nine hour days of just re- – and like I don't ever talk in my yeah, day yeah. job. Like I'm yeah, quite yeah. – what was most challenging with this book though is I thought – because there's women from all these different cultures, right? And I thought when I was writing it, I was like being very impressive by using all these words in their right. original languages like Korean and oh, Finnish God. or whatever. Yeah. You know what I don't speak is it's, Korean yeah, or Finnish or Spanish or <laughs> Japanese or Iran – like any yeah. of these languages. So I got into the booth and I was like – Oh no! And I started like frantically texting every person that I know who speaks these languages, like to send me voice notes of the words that I needed. So I had friends like texting me Vietnamese, like voice notes on WhatsApp, like in a panic. And like, anyway, I tried my best. I think I butchered a lot of it, but I tried. (laughs) That's exciting, though. It's just one more thing to add to the resume, right? It was so fun. Yeah, and a challenge, right? I think you know by the time that you get to your second or third book or whatever it is, this is your third book, but. Uh, after the comics, you feel like you've kind of, I've done this. You yeah, know? Yeah. And so a new challenge is always something probably kind of great that it comes along. Totally. I would definitely do it again. I would go prepared with more tea next time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> tea is crucial. Look at that right here. Yeah. The giant one sitting here. <laughs> um, we're talking about Sam Meg's book uh, called Girl Squads. Uh, was there, when and we talked about the cover, now you said you didn't have anything to do with the cover, but it's a beautiful cover. Was oh, yeah. there a particular message or theme that you wanted to get out through the cover? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up the cover. So the book is illustrated by actually another gal from Toronto. She's named Jen Woodall. Um, she's amazing. I definitely recommend you look up her work. She's so great. Um, and she was able to put together this cover that highlights a bunch of different squads that are in the book, yep. which is such a hard thing to do on a very small amount of space, but she managed to do it. And there are illustrations all through the book. At the beginning of each chapter, there's like a full page illustration with all the gals that are upcoming in that chapter. And the beginning of each section has a little spot illustration. Mm -hmm. It's really beautiful. And I think to our point about history needing to be stories and relatable really helps you to visualize or connect to the people that we're talking about that you might not always have a frame of reference for. Um, Like, you know, Vietnamese sisters in the year 1000, like, what does that mean, really, you know? So, yeah, I'm so lucky that she was on board for this book. When we come back, we continue the conversation with Sam Maggs, and we're going to talk about some of the people in the book, some of the girl squads in the book. Stay with us. My guest in studio is Sam Mag. She's a best-selling writer of books, comics, and video games. She's a senior writer for Insomniac Games, the author of The Fangirl's Guide to the Galaxy, Wonder Women, and a new book called Girl Squads. It's out right now. Uh, and I just, I like saying this, so I'm going to say it again. It's a fun and feisty tour of famous girl BFFs from history who stuck together and changed the world. <laughs> and there's a lot of people that, you know, we've never heard of yeah. before in this book. So tell me about Anne, Bonnie, and Mary Reed. Oh my gosh, real life lady pirates. I know, it's cool, right? So interesting. What I learned while researching that this book is that pirates as we think about them actually only existed for about a 30-year time. Time period in the 1700s yes. called the golden age of pirates. Um, and 
the pirates were so awesome and so well liked that basically governments had to run a smear campaign about them. <laughs> and that's why we kind of have this negative image of pirates now. But in reality, they were democratic. They were socialist. They had like disability insurance and they welcomed people of all different races mm-hmm. and genders, including women. So, yeah, and Bonnie Mary Reed, two really awesome kick butt female pirates. And how did you come across their story? They're probably the most famous of the like Bonnie. lady yeah. pirates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, super cool. But um, often with this story and with many other stories in the book, it's part of my job to go ahead and separate fact from mythology is, or fiction. Yeah, and that's the tricky bit, right? That's yes. where the research that we talked about earlier uh, comes in. Because quite frankly, often the mythology is more fun than the, than, than the fact, It right? totally is. And a lot of people publish, you know, it gets repeated on Wikipedia yeah. or on the internet and then ends up in books. And it's so important to track down primary original sources for a lot of this stuff because, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, tell me about uh, Sharon and Shirley Firth. Yeah, they're the Canadians in the book. So happy to be able to include Canadians. Um, so they are two Indigenous twin sisters from the Northwest Territories who in the 60s and 70s um, and early 80s were actually Canadian Olympic cross-country skiers. Mm-hmm. They were like the two first Indigenous women to head to the Olympics. They competed in four different Olympics for Canada um, at a time when, you know, they attended residential schools. Yeah. Like we're talking a, a time that was very difficult for Indigenous people in Northern Canada. So um, the fact that they were able to be so accomplished was, it was so, they were such hardworking, incredible women. Very cool. And for something like that, there was loads of footage. There's, you know, were you oh, yeah. able to contact them? Are they, are they still um, One of the sisters has passed, mm-hmm. unfortunately, um, but an, another, another gal is still alive. There are a lot of gals in the book who are still alive, but I actually tried to approach all the women in the same way. I didn't want to give any right. sort of priority or differential treatment to the present well, day women. Yeah. I mean, I also think that it, it lends itself to a different style of writing. Yes. Because all of a sudden there's uh, lots of uh, quotations from the person that you've yes. just interviewed where there wouldn't obviously be from the historical figures. Totally. And I, I wanted the research and the words that I found to be kind of publicly available to everyone else who wanted to go looking for it. So that was kind of part of my thought process there. Tell me about the uh, first women who were admitted to medical school in the United Kingdom. Oh, yeah. They're called the Edinburgh Seven. Um, In Scotland, in the 1800s, women were not allowed to become doctors because to become a doctor, you had to be licensed through university, and women weren't allowed to attend university. So um, that's why there's like this circular argument that people are always like, well, if women could have been good at science, they would have made something. And it's like, you literally didn't let us go to school. (laughs) There's like a whole sort of thing here, but it's okay. Um, Whatever. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so they fought the system in the UK until they were able to get the right to become licensed, and it was not easy. They suffered a lot of hardship getting to that point, but we basically have them to thank for all women's medicine now yeah, in, from, in the Western world. From this point on, yeah, yeah. yeah. My doctor will be very pleased. It should be very pleased. <laughs> yeah. She owes a debt to them. Totally. The Zora Orchestra. Oh, this I think this is cool. my favorite story in the book. Um, so this is Afghanistan's first all-female orchestra, and it exists right now. And what's really interesting about this is, as I think many of us know, obviously a history in Afghanistan Mm -hmm. with the Taliban and everything has a very poor history with women's rights. Not great there. A lot of us know. But what is less common knowledge, I think, is that the Taliban banned music Mm -hmm. in Afghanistan. They were not – there was no music allowed for many years for a variety of different reasons. So now this all-female orchestra is like this 
combination of not only women doing something publicly for work, but also music, which is a very contentious thing there. It's like a a crossroads of a, a very intense and dangerous situation that these girls who are 12, 14, 16 years old get up every day and walk through the streets with their instrument cases and put themselves in actual mortal danger to do it. The thread, it's not, it's one of the threads of the book, is that a lot of these people are quite young. Yeah, no, it's true. And we do, folk. there are other, Mm -hmm. like, older women in the book. One of my favorite examples of of older women in girl squads is the Hanyo, which is um, women divers on an island in South Korea who are responsible. They're free divers, so no equipment. They're responsible for their island's entire economy, and they have been for millennia, and they're, like, all over the age of 50, which is pretty impressive. So... (laughs) Amazing, like actual like grandma mermaids. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of the women, and that's why I wanted to make it so like conversational and relatable because a lot of the women I'm writing about are like 17 year old girls who decide to like do wild and crazy things with like way more barriers to entry than we could ever imagine today. And they're just like normal gals who decide to do this, and it's uh, pretty inspiring. Yeah. I mean, I think that we're seeing that worldwide, though. I mean, yeah. youth culture has always kind of driven or yeah. frequently driven things. Uh, but it, it feels like there is a drive with a new generation now who are more politically involved. Um, oh, you yeah. know, there were, you know, the, the generation of, of the 60s and 70s who protested the Vietnam War yeah. and, and, and you know, did, did all that. And it, it's so young people have often been very politically involved. It feels different now. And maybe yeah. it's because of social media. It and is. Maybe it's because of all that. But I really think that it is because of the internet and social media. Listen, I didn't really understand what feminism was until I was 20 and I was right. taking a course on it in university because I had only ever heard that it was like bra burning, women hating, like yeah, whatever. Yeah. That's what I've been taught. Now you see like 16-year-old kids who are having like full-on like dissertation level arguments about intersectionality and like the crossroads between race and class and gender and they know words like you know for like the trans experience and stuff that we never like they're so smart and educated about this stuff from such a young age now and I think that's really interesting and cool um, and it makes me feel exceptionally old. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> Sam Maggs, if you feel old, imagine <laughs> imagine how it feels on this side of the room. I'm speaking with Sam Maggs. The book is called Girl Squads. It's in uh, bookstores right now. You can uh, check it out alongside Fangirl's Guide to the Galaxy and Wonder Women, uh, two other books. When does the uh, does the video game come out? So the main Spider-Man game is out right now. Mm -hmm. It came out at the beginning of September, um, but there are three DLC, which means like extended episodes basically for the game coming out this fall, one at the end of October, one in November, and one in December. So keep your eyes out for that on PlayStation. And do you ever really take a break from this or do you you just have a lot of different jobs and and juggle them all well? Well, that's, I mean, that's pretty rich coming from you, Richard (laughs) Krause, who also has like seven jobs. But yeah, you know what? I just really like to work and I like to challenge myself with different things. I like to say yes to everything. Um, because I have discovered doing what I do that nobody really knows what they're doing. So you might as well say yes and then figure out how to do it along the way. Yeah. And there will be people around to help you. You know, like when somebody asked me to write a comic book, I was like, sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you can figure it out. Don't be afraid to say yes to stuff. Um, nobody knows what they're doing any more than you do. <laughs> well, the, I, I agree with you. you know, and yeah. I, I think that failure is uh, something that is underrated by people. And, yeah. you know, None of these things that you have touched have been failures. But along the way, for me anyway, I've had things that haven't worked. Oh, yeah. You know, that I've said yes to that haven't worked. And I've learned something uh, more so 
I think then sometimes then the things that have worked really well for me. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting to hear. And I think you you will probably find this as well. But for every one thing of mine that you see that comes out, there's like 57 oh. things that I said yep. yes to that I did a bunch of work on that will never see the light yep. of day or yep. go anywhere. You really just have to keep throwing spaghetti at the wall and hope something sticks. You really do. And, <laughs> yeah. and that is something absolutely for me. I mean, yeah. you have no idea how many <laughs> yeah. meetings I've sat through that oh, yeah. I left going, man, I think that went awesome. really well. And you never hear from them again or no. whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. So, I, And I think that's how I accidentally end up with like 10 things happening at once then because then it's like, oh, all these things now are going for it yeah. and you're like oh so you have a really crazy month and then it's over with and then you feel better That's great. Well, and, and so right now we were talking over you're going to take just a, a a pause a pause from from writing another book straight away because i mean it wasn't that long ago you were here talking about fangirl's guide to the galaxy I know. and then recently with wonder women i mean it's it's you know, it's it, they seem fast. They seem like Guide was just 2015. Was like, it? It's, it was oh. not very long ago. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on some fiction writing for a little while. Yeah. So I have the video game. I'm gonna work on a couple. I got a couple of fiction books in the works that yeah. can't talk about yet. But um, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna live in that world for a little bit while I sort of replenish the old nonfiction well there because I there's so many more stories I want to tell there, but I want to make sure they're the right stories. Mm-hmm. And for the right reasons. Uh, we just have a minute left. Yeah. What it, What's your favorite of all of these? I mean, you mentioned the Zora Orchestra yeah. is someone that, but but if you had to choose one, if someone came to you and said, we need an entire book on one of these. Stories. It would be the 1964 Japanese women's Olympic volleyball team. Yeah. Um, because when I say like an Olympic volleyball team, you wouldn't think that that would have any sort of political or like cultural right. ramifications really. But at that time in Japan, post-war, they were trying to represent themselves on the world stage in a new way. Right. Um, and basically the whole burden of this fell on the shoulders of this one women's Olympic volleyball team and their final gold medal match against the Soviets with whom Japan has a very fraught history. Right. And the way this story reads is like a sports movie like it reads like Rudy it's so good (laughs) and like I I love sports movies like more than anything so that those women that is like such a great story sports movies are never about the sport exactly that's the thing sports movies are never about the sport they're about these universal truths that come out of of, so true yeah. Yeah. yeah so it would be that one the book is called Girl Squads. Uh, it's a follow-up of sorts to Fangirl's Guide to the Galaxy, Wonder Women. All three books are available uh, wherever you buy uh, fine and not-so-fine books, uh, <laughs> everywhere, Amazon.ca, all that kind of yep. stuff. Uh, online, uh, in, in brick-and-mortar stores, wherever you get them. Uh, Sam Maggs has been my guest. Thank you so much. What a treat. Such a blast being here, Richard. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you again soon. Uh, my thanks to Andre on the board and for you for listening. We'll talk again next week.